This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart app is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tap, no matter where you are. Even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh, that is smart. HP+. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com slash smart. Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. Hello again, this is Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability, bringing you another podcast on leading from the front. And today's guest, I'm very excited to introduce you to a fellow National Speakers Association certified speaking professional. And, you know, I I just want to let people know that a CSP, it requires a tremendous amount of dedication to the speaking industry. It takes 250 speeches, presentations paid over at least a five-year period and making a quarter of a million dollars during that. So uh, when you talk about a CSP, you're talking about somebody that's really makes this part of their overall business strategy and trying to get a message out. And the message today comes from the master negotiator and body language expert. This gentleman is a Harvard-trained negotiator a TV news contributor that assists organizations in enhancing their bottom line through heightened negotiation skills. I'm excited to hear about this, having been a uh, vice president of sales and marketing and been in a few negotiations in my time. He teaches negotiators the fine points of reading body language to obtain insights into nonverbal signals conveyed during a negotiation. And those insights reveal concealed thoughts and I, I think that means he reads their mind of the opposing negotiator, which I'm excited about because we teach our leaders that 95% of the message is nonverbal and only 7% is the words. So when we teach emotional intelligence, we try to get our leaders to pay attention to what's going on beyond just the words spoken and listen with your eyes. And I think that our guest today, Mr. Greg Williams, can teach us a little bit about listening with our eyes and the tone of our voice. So, Greg, welcome to today's program. Well, thank you, Dr. Gary. I appreciate the invitation for me to be here. So, okay, so let's start with this whole master negotiator thing, because you list that as you're the master. So talk to me about what it takes to become a master negotiator. And tell me a little bit about your background, how you got there. Okay. Well, first of all, a lot came from the School of Hard Knocks many years ago. The point is, a lot of us are better than average negotiators, but we don't take the time to acknowledge the skills we have. What that means is we will instinctively do things from time to time as far as enhancing the negotiation outcome, and we're not aware of the tactics or strategies we actually use. Let me cite an example of exactly what I'm saying. Many years ago, well, several years ago, let me say, I purchased a high-end vehicle. 
And the color, although I liked it initially, the color wasn't exactly what I was looking for. And as I drove it away from the dealership, I thought to myself, hmm. I really don't want this vehicle. So I literally, I had probably driven about 15 minutes away and I literally drove back and told the dealer, Hey, you know what? Never mind. I don't think I want to accept this deal. I don't like the color of the vehicle. Yada, yada, yada. To make a long story short, Dr. Gary, the dealer as an incentive took about 10 to $15,000 off of the price of the vehicle for me to keep it now it was starting to look better wasn't it exactly and the point is though i did that and that was in the real real early stages of me developing more of my negotiation skills i did it not realizing that number one a lot of other people probably would not want that color uh, in their car and thus the dealer figured oh boy he'd be stuck with it for a longer time etc 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 I did not consider the mitigating circumstances. And it was those type of lessons, along with literally learning from some master negotiators over a period of time, that allowed me to enhance my skills also. And even when I was a little kid, literally four years old, back then, you know, your parents would allow you to make little money, uh, extra money, any kind of way that was legal. And I used to shine shoes. And I would notice from time to time that depending upon how I interacted with someone, they'd give me an extra nickel, an extra dime or something of that nature. And I came to realize, okay, so there's something to be said here. I mean, even as a little kid about reading, I didn't know I was reading somebody's body language at the time, but I was attuned to their interaction with me, which allowed me to gain more of a tip, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Over a period of years, I enhanced those skills. And especially when I became a TV news contributor, because then I was teaching others how to observe body language and other nonverbal signals such that they could enhance the outcome of their negotiations. I'm glad you brought up this whole thing about kids, because I actually wrote down as you were talking, I see kids negotiating with their parents on a regular basis and the parents get pissed. I mean, they get, they get upset, you know, that it's like, is everything in negotiation with you? And it was like, no, these kids are learning great people skills right now. You know, and I I feel like saying to the parents, what you need to do is improve your negotiating skills because they're getting what they want. So it it starts when we're, we're young, isn't it? It's kind of an unconscious thing that we do to have a lot of people, kids and parents and, to have this conversation about what we want and trying to figure out creative ways to get there. Isn't that what negotiations is? Oh, definitely so. And I want to highlight something that you just spoke of a moment ago, and that is kids and their negotiation abilities. It is innate in us. That's to say, being able to negotiate is innate in us. And what happens over a period of time, as we grow older, we stop asking for things. We stop using the same techniques and tactics that we used when we were kids because we want to be more fit to be in the society in which we're supposed to operate based on the norms of the society, yada, yada, yada. As a kid, we don't have those boundaries. You ask mom for something, she says, no, you go ask dad and see what he says. And then the thing is, kids know how to play their parents off of one another, which again is something that good negotiators also know how to do. Some maliciously, some just to make sure that they enhance their opportunity to get uh, a better bottom line. So yes, we can learn a lot, a whole lot 
from just observing how kids negotiate. And Dr. Gary, as parents, we should observe the kids' techniques, learn from them, and then learn how to use their techniques against them. <laughs> so let's give our listeners the Master Negotiator 101 course. Tell us like the top three things that you consider when you, uh, let's help people become conscious of the things that they should be thinking about when they negotiate. First of all, realize, and it's my tagline, my motto, that you're always negotiating. Mm. That means anytime you have an interaction with someone, you're giving insight information as to how you might possibly respond in the future. And what savvy people understand is if I know something about you that can lead to an excited state within you, I might tie my offer into motivating you to acquire it based on that excited state I place you in simply because I know your excitement level will be elevated. So that, that's number one. Number two, no doesn't mean no forever. It means no for the moment. No right now. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It means no right now, which means, hey, okay, is the offer not good enough? Uh, Are there mitigating circumstances in which I can enhance the offer or the offer can be enhanced by using leverage? Leverage meaning, hey, I can help you get X because I know you can't get it anywhere else through an associate of mine. Now, if you would want me to do that for you. Here's what I need you to do for me in order to get what you want. So you're always looking for points of leverage. And again, the more you have interactions with someone, the more you understand their needs, the more you'll have insight as to how you might be able to use leverage to go against just that. And let me highlight one other factor that you mentioned, and that was listening with your eyes. And I'll tell you, that that's another phrase that I oftentimes use because the way someone says something can give you insight into their mindset, but you not only have to listen to how they're saying it, but observe how their mannerisms change as they're saying it. Now, the, the listeners cannot see my facial expressions or anything of that nature, but I'm sure they denoted how I altered the pace of my speech and coupled with being able to literally see what was going on in my mind through my facial expressions during that time would give someone yet additional insight about my thought process. Yeah, that's great stuff. And as you slowed your speech down, I was like, what, what, you know, what's he going to say next? Right? And it, it reminds me of music. Because as, as great musicians will tell you, that music is created because of the silence between notes. Mm, yes, exactly, exactly. And isn't that what we do in negotiating communication is to slow down instead of, in, instead of listening to respond, to listen, to understand? And you said over and over and over again that I just heard understanding their needs, understanding how to leverage what they want, how to understand it's them, 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 them. And the focus is on them. And that's really what truly what listening is when we talk about leadership. It's, it's being able to understand the other person. Oh, definitely so. Uh, and to add to what you said, being able to understand them and allowing them to sense and know that you understand them is added value as it were. And that comes about as a result of displaying empathy and having them 
feel the fact that you're displaying empathy for their plight, their cause, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It also assists in the bonding process because you have more than likely heard the old cliche, people like people that are like themselves. And to the degree that someone feels as though you understand them, they'll say, well, he, she gets me. They understand me. And therefore, I'll even open up a little bit more to them because the fear factor is then reduced, which is another aspect of a negotiation that great negotiators always attempt to enhance and enhance the negotiation by uh, doing. So those are very important factors. And thank you for mentioning it. So let's uh, share a little bit about understanding these this nonverbal skill and how People talk about this all the time. They say, you know, we got to show empathy. We got to show empathy. How do you show empathy in a conversation? How do you actually do that? Well, if it's a first time encounter with someone, let them lead from the front, to, to borrow a phrase of yours. Oh, that's <laughs> a great phrase. I love that phrase. Thank you, Greg. I write that down. Yeah, really, right? And what that means is allow them to talk openly. Let them feel as though they are in a safe environment. Listen, repeat what they said back to them such that you're able to let them know that you understand what they're saying. And it also clarifies the possibility of miscommunications. We have certain word meanings that we associate to several or different outcomes that may have the same implication that those words can represent. So if I say the sky is blue and your perception of a blue sky is different than mine, you and I have slightly miscommunicated at that point in time. Now, to what degree does it impact the negotiation? Well, we'll find out later as we delve deeper into our discussion. But by displaying the empathy through the fact that I'm listening to you, I respect you, I want to adopt your norms to the degree that I can, also says you and I are aligned. And that's those are several ways in which you can display empathy. Uh, do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, there you go. <laughs> you caught it. You caught it. I, yes. I yes. think he's trying to empathize. <laughs> Pay attention with Greg because he's on to this, you know, and I was thinking about the uh, blue sky, you know, because uh, as we always say in leadership, words don't have meaning until we agree on the meaning together. So when you say blue sky, I'm going, oh, blue sky. When you, And I might say, when you see a blue sky, do you see clouds in your sky or is it all blue? Mm. You know, are you seeing a blue sky that's a dark blue just before sunset? Or are you seeing a bright blue sky with no clouds? So we're defining what we mean by blue sky. And that's one of the most important aspects of leadership is clear expectations, clear communication of what you're talking about. It comes down to the highest level of the four A's that we always talk about, which is acceptance and understanding. Somebody understands me. Mm. And Dr. Gary, you've just exemplified yet again why you are so revered and such an expert in your field, because a lot of people don't understand the fact that, hey, a blue sky, a blue sky, yeah, okay, whatever, a blue sky is a blue sky, blue sky. No, it's not. No, it's not. And, yeah, and, and to the degree, as you just highlighted, that you get deeper understanding as to how that person views a blue sky, you can have a much better interaction with that individual. Yeah. So I, I, I share a quick, funny story. When I was uh, in the army, you know, second lieutenant, and I had one of these platoon sergeants was, was training this young 22 year old lieutenant. 
And he says, yeah, you got to be really clear with your expectations, sir. You need to be clear with your expectations. Okay. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? He says, well, like for instance, let's get that private over there and bring him into this room and tell him to paint the room. So, okay, cool. Yeah. Paint the room. And he says, now, when you say that, what's he going to paint? I said, he's going to paint the room. And he goes, oh, he's going to paint everything. He's going to paint the floor, the ceiling, the lights. He's going to paint the room because he is a highly motivated young soldier. And when you say paint, he says, yes, sir. How high, how much, and how much you want to finish it? And I was like, so he would paint my desk? And he says, he might. (laughs) So I learned from a very young age from these very smart non-commissioned officers. I was in the military that you have to be clear with your communication. So when I would give an order, when I say paint the room, soldier, what exactly do I mean? Just what you just did to me, right? It just brought back that memory, Greg. It was so funny. And and you know what? You know what, Dr. Gary? Here's another thing. Talking about meanings and phrases, depending upon where you are in the world, uh, that's to say where you grew up, where you currently reside, and that example that you just cited brought me back to a memory of painting the town you know when you go you go, hey, yeah exactly and it yeah. doesn't mean that you're physically going to go out and paint the town obviously it means that you're going to have in some circles go out and have a good time so you're definitely right about your communications and making sure that your implied intent is truly understood and perceived correctly yeah that's a great point because people will use cliches like that and think they're communicating perfectly right so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so let's let's talk a little bit about the nonverbal stuff I'm very interested in uh, the work that you do to figure people out with the congruence of nonverbal versus verbal or the incongruence what are what are some of the things that you look for? I mean, because I always talk about it, it's kind of a feeling you get, this intuitive feeling. And I have a feeling that you've studied the research into this a lot deeper than just a feeling. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit and help us out on what you look for and how do you how do you build that skill? Well, well sure. Uh, first of all, like most skills that you build, you do so gradually over a period of time, making sure that you have input that's validated. That's number one. Number two, we are more intuitive about the nonverbal signals we perceive than we think. The point is, sometimes you'll have a hunch, a feeling about something. And what has really occurred there is you have sensed something. Maybe it's at the subconscious level in your mind, but you've sensed something. And you should take note when that occurs, because all that means is the trip wasn't completely made to your state of consciousness. Now, when it comes to nonverbal communications, I gave somewhat of an example of it earlier when I started altering the pace of yes. my speech. So that those are little cues right there that can say, wait a minute, that person just altered their pace of speech. Why? What was the stimuli that caused that individual to do so? Did I say something? Did I do something? Did he, she see something? Uh, What were they thinking about? And when you pick up those little cues, you can actually say to someone, so what just happened? And they'll give you input. Now, one other thing that I do a lot of times when I'm in an environment, especially when I'm preparing to assist a client in their negotiations, I will go into an environment and I'll play a role. It can be anything. I've done so as someone literally sitting in a meeting as the person taking the notes. Meanwhile, what I'm doing is observing the body language gestures. Who looks at whom 
when they make a certain statement. What reactions do you see? Why nice when someone makes a, a statement or an assertion? Uh, do you see a hesitation, somebody pulling back uh, when someone is talking? Well, those are all cues that you could pick up on to discern what's occurring in someone's mind and gain insight into who it might be that's the real leader in an environment. A lot of times, again, when I go into environments, all I'm doing is watching the body language signals of those in the environment because you always need to establish a baseline of how someone acts and reacts when they are in a non-threatening environment. Then you have something to compare against once you get into what might be perceived as a more stressful environment. And those cues that I spoke of, the eye movement, the head movement, even the shoulder shrugs when they occur, will give you insight and indications as to what that person really believes, to what degree they are committed to what they say, and how they might possibly react or act if they don't like something that you say. You know, the licking of the lips, as an example, could be one particular clue or cue that... <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm, I, they, the, the people can't see right now, but yeah. uh, I'm I'm licking my lips because I just finished lunch. Yeah, but that's the other part of it, right? Definitely, and I was just getting ready to say that. That's one reason why you want to establish that baseline, also because you can't make an assumption off of one gesture that a person is filling the blank. Oh, that person's upset because they did that at that particular point in time. You always have to validate it. And you do that by observing other what's known as cluster of nonverbal slash body language gestures, too. So if someone says, come here, while they're literally waving their hand away from themselves, that's an incongruent message. They're really saying, no, I don't really want you to come here. Or, or, or is that just the gesture they use? Well, Had you established their baseline first, you'd know if that was a gesture they used when they said, come here, to actually mean come here. Or if they pushed their hand away from themselves while telling you to come here and they backed away from you. Okay, now you have more of a congruent signal in the fact that they waved their hand away from themselves and they backed away from you that they really don't want you coming closer to them. Yeah, and you made the point, and I'll I'll highlight this because in our universal, our, our global world now, one facial gesture or movement of the head in one culture can mean the exact opposite in another culture. And I can remember a story about somebody talking to uh, somebody from overseas and they were shaking their head, but in their culture, that meant yes. Mm -hmm. And they're going back and forth, you know, (laughs) it's kind of the, the, the nod from India, you know, they're going back and forth and, uh, and people say, why is he always saying no to me? Why is he always saying no to me? And he's like, no, he's agreeing with you. And it, So it can get confusing sometimes, can it? Yes, and you just highlighted the value of understanding, setting the baseline first so that you know exactly what a signal means per that person's display. Okay, so baseline, that's the first thing. So what else, what's what's another key that we could learn from this nonverbal negotiating master? Well, again, the pace of someone's speech. And the reason I keep mentioning that is because it's so important when you're literally speaking to someone on the phone and or communicating with them and you can't really see their gestures. So you could pick up 
some of what I'm doing right now as the, as I hesitate. And again, it goes back to what's causing him to hesitate. You always want to know why that person is being stimulated, motivated to do what they're doing. Hypothetically, you and I are in a very intense negotiation and we're at a make or break point. And all along, I've said something along the lines to you of, Dr. Gary, I know this is going to be fantastic for you. And the reason I'm so sure is because I've seen it occur with other individuals and everyone has expanded their boundaries through it. I know you want to take advantage of of uh, of this, right? Right? Uh, 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 yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. So looking for those breaks in speed, pace, pitch, volume give you some indication that you might want to say, what, what was that? What's the, there's a question there, by the way, just statistically, again, we said 93%, the breakdown is 55% facial expression and gestures, 38% tone and voice inflection and 7% words. So when you take the gestures away, you're taking away 55%. So that's why when we talk about having meetings virtually, it's nice to have video because we can see the person's facial expressions and it really adds 55% more richness to the conversation. But when we take that away, the breakdown now is about 85% tone, pitch, speed of voice and volume and 15% words. Mm-hmm. Okay. So 85%. So people like just, I just want to, I want people to know the research, the science behind it. 80, 85% pay attention to speed, pitch, volume. <laughs> and let's see, I, I made a note over here for the other one. Pace. Oh, yeah, we got to, because I'm the one that always talks too fast because you can just slow it down. And I just keep kind of, you know, all of a sudden I start talking fast. People, what the heck is he saying? And you know, to the degree that you are not aligned with the pace of someone that you're speaking with, especially when you're negotiating with them. You've heard the cliches before. Oh, uh, it sounds like uh, a used car salesperson. And, you know, not to demean used car salespeople, but they have an image that's already associated to a certain pace of speech. People from the southern part of the U.S. tend to speak a little slower than those from the northern part of the country. And you'll hear people from the south say, well, that's one of them Yankees from up north or something. And what that's doing is creating a built-in rift between those two individuals even before they start to really negotiate. So you always have to be careful of that. And you mentioned words. I definitely adhere to word choices that people use. I can say this will be the best outcome that I know you and I will achieve. I can say this will be the greatest outcome that I know that you and I will achieve. I can also say I believe and the possibility of this being the greatest outcome that you and I will achieve. Now, boy, those convey different sentiments, don't they? <laughs> sure, yeah. yeah. We talk about leadership all the time, how important words are, that you have to be very, very close and very intentional mm-hmm. with your words. And why one of the topics that I talk about all the time is the difference between service leadership and servant leadership. Mm. I pro- I'm a proponent of service leadership, not a servant that gives you whatever you want but service that helps you get what you need. And uh, by the way, I wanted to just point out this whole thing about the slower speech up north and down south. There's a reason for this. This is my theory. I haven't, I haven't put this into any kind of a hypothetical research or not, but here's my theory. Mm-hmm. It's January, okay, and it's cold out. 
and and you're freezing. So here's the deal. You got, you know, you're freezing. So you're up north. You're going to talk really fast to get this conversation over with. Down south, you're in Florida. It's 75, 80 degrees. I got more time. I can slow it down. I'm not in any hurry to end this conversation. But when it's 20 below, I'm going to talk fast. I'm just, that's my theory and I'm sticking to it. Well, well, you know what? Now, seriously speaking, though, there is some substance to what you're saying because people in more hurried, more rushed environments want to get more out because they have more to do, so they think, or at least they profess to have that in their environment. And people that don't will still tend to speak a little slower because they have more time. So that's mm-hmm. that's one of those nonverbal cues that you can pick up on to also discern, hey, to what degree does this person come from a particular background? And I thus need to make sure that I adopt some of those same mannerisms to let that person bond with me, me with him more easily. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point. So when they're again, you got the baseline, if their pace starts to pick up. You might ask them a question. Are you in a hurry? Yes. You try to get somewhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's. What What advice do you have for leaders in negotiation and communication skills? What What could you offer our listeners specifically on on the side of leadership? Well, well let, let's go right down the path that we're on right now because okay. it's a good one with pace of speech. When it comes to leading others, understand how they communicate. That's number one. Number two understand what pace of speech will do to someone that you're leading. So, for example, if you think someone uh, may not be as amenable to accepting an offer that you would wish them to accept, you might speak a little slower to drag out the time frame whereby they have time to think, okay, well, if I don't do this, what's going to happen? If I do this, what will happen? Yada, yada, yada. On the other hand, if you want to motivate them to move faster to action, you might literally speak faster. The faster speech in that case would also convey a sense of urgency per what you're asking them to adopt. So when it comes to leading from the front, leaders truly have to consider the psychology that's occurring in a negotiation also. If you make an offer and it's one that uh, you don't want somebody to accept, but there's yet another offer, you might consider offering it in stages. Well, here's where you can be in three months if you acquire this, if you do this. And after that, within the next three months, you'll have whatever that individual was seeking all along. So you can break things into stages to keep the person motivated to strive further, longer, harder to achieve a goal. Mm. Okay. I like it. So let's go back uh, a few years. And if you could write yourself a letter, master negotiator, and you're talking to a young man, a young Greg, who's learning, but still struggling, what would you tell him? Several factors <laughs> or several things. When I was younger, oh my gosh, I thought I knew it all. <laughs> of course we did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so number one, I would tell myself, be fortunate that you don't know it all. Realize there's a lot more room for you to grow. Understand that you're always negotiating and will be until the day you die. And that means if you can help enough people get what they want through your negotiation efforts, you'll get more of what 
you want. Don't take advantage of people. Assist people in achieving their goals and more of your goals will be achieved. Yeah. Yeah. It really does come down to just helping each other, doesn't it? Yes, Dr. Gary. Yes. Yeah. And today's day and age, we need that more and more. And I talk about IGYB all the time and mm-hmm. people have heard, some people have heard me talk about it. My brother's response when he works with me, when I ask him to get something done, he just sends back IGYB. I've got your back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Real fast. Also, I just want to pick up on a nonverbal cue that I just observed. And I heard it when you said, oh, yes, in today's environment, that little intake of additional mm-hmm. uh, a breath of air told me that you were getting ready to cite something that you were really sincere about. And those are the little nonverbal cues that people can pick up on all day long. Yeah, that's great. That's good insight. I, I like it. I like it. So our, our uh, listeners can uh, learn a lot from from this master negotiator. Greg, is there anything, any final comments, thoughts, ideas that you'd like to finish up today with? Any words of wisdom? Uh, sure. Number oh, good. one. <laughs> good. Number one, for all of your listeners, I like to suggest, I don't tell yeah. people what to do. I like to suggest that they seriously Continue to listen to your podcast because you deliver great insights. That's number one. And number two, never, ever forget that you're always negotiating. That what you do today impacts the potential opportunities that you'll have tomorrow. And learn to read body language. Pay more attention to the nonverbal signals and cues that you pick up when you're talking to someone. If you sense something as being intuitive, understand that you've sensed something that's occurring in your environment, pay attention to it. Well, excellent. So anybody want to uh, find Mr. Greg Williams, they can find him on LinkedIn. Greg Williams, the master negotiator and body language expert, a fellow National Speakers Association CSP and C-suite member. We're both C-suite members and C-suite advisors and uh, part of the, some of the same organizations. So We have some of the same values in trying to help people become better and better and better at whatever it is they do to help them make their lives better. So thank you for listening. This is Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. One last time, thank you for listening to Leading from the Front. And thank you to Mr. Greg Williams. Thanks, Greg. Thank you very much, Dr. Gary. Have a great day and everybody be well. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com. S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S.com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.